Joe, right? It's Joe, isn't it? And you are Kathleen. Kathleen Kelly. There's only one place to find a children's book in the neighborhood. And it was yours. And it is a, a charming little bookstore. You probably sell, what, $350,000 worth of books in a year? How did you know that? I'm in the book business. I am in the book business. A reversal of the movie You've Got Mail. It's one thing to have an algorithmic relationship with a customer. It's another to have a person who's actually read the book, passionate about it, say to you, you will love this. The little bookstore around the corner fought a challenge from a big box store and won. Barnes & Noble was down the street one block for about 10 years at the same time as Amazon began to roll out and other big box stores. And it was challenging, no doubt about it, but we hung in there and we made it through. She went from a one-woman business to managing $700 million in investments. How did she do that? I customize everything I do. If you come to me, it's a tailored suit is what happens. It's really, once again, getting that right person to work with you. Actually getting the keys to a candy store, your own. There's rules, but there's no rules. Go by the skin of your teeth, go by instinct. I sell a lot of jelly beans. We have locale candy. It's really hard to say what doesn't sell well, because if it doesn't sell well, I won't get it again. We, nothing sits around for a long time. This is the language of business. A weekly podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at small businesses that made it. Here's Greg. Thanks, Don. Think it's old-fashioned to buy your books in a bookstore? Guess again, the Brookline Booksmith has not only been around for 55 years, but is flourishing. We're on location a stone's throw from Boston. Dana Brigham, part owner and general manager of the Brookline Booksmith, welcome to Language of Business. Thank you. Nice to be here. So what do you think about the online book craze? Well, I think that it had it sort of flash in the pan, and it is still there, but really solid independents like this store have risen above the thrill of online and ebooks to remind people that we're real people in a real place, which I think is really important nowadays. The more people are on the screens, the more they really crave real people in real places. So that's worked super well for us. But your pricing can't be as good as it is online. No, and we don't even go there. We have rent and utilities to pay, so we do the best we can on pricing. And we really count on having excellent service, selection, style, every customer having a better than expected experience. And that has seen us along. Businesses, industries change in five years, let alone 55. Why the Booksmith and why is it doing so well? This is a great community, deep roots. The founder was a resident here. His children went to school here. And it's always been about lifelong learning and about deep roots in the community. So we're very involved with nonprofits, schools, religious institutions, and we really want every customer to have that better than expected experience. So we increase our offerings over the years. The used books where we're sitting is seven years. The gift room upstairs is 17 years. We just keep expanding what we're doing. Author events, online sales, we do as well. So the more you offer, the more you can be appealing and viable. When people come in, how do they know where to go? Well, we have aisle signs upstairs on chalkboard that guide you through the aisles. We have people right at the front desk to help you. The store is laid out sort of like a treasure hunt. We really like customers to find their own way. We have a lot of tables that are curated titles, and you see people browsing those a lot. If they want a particular type of book, then they go to that section. They might find the book they're looking for, as well as two others. Something we hear all the time is, I came in for one book, 
or one card and I'm leaving with all kinds of items. That means success for us. Do book signings still work? Totally, they do. Everything from Neil Patrick Harris, who had 800 people in line, to a fledgling poet or novelist. Do the publishers give you any sympathy since you're an independent bookstore? Publishers are very supportive. We are partners in every way. They count on us to launch new books for them. It's one thing to have an algorithmic relationship with a customer. It's another to have a person who's actually read the book, passionate about it, say to you, you will love this book. Years ago, you went head to head against Barnes & Noble up the street and you won. How did that work so well? Barnes & Noble was down the street, one block, for about 10 years, and their arrival came at the same time as Amazon began to roll out and other big box stores around the region. And it was challenging, no doubt about it, but we hung in there, we kept growing in the ways that I've already mentioned to you, and we made it through. Customer loyalty was very important. Brookline is a town which understands local, important, independent, important contributor to your community. So that helped us a lot. Does anything keep you up at night about the next five years? I think what keeps me up at night is trying to stay ahead of everything that's part of today's world, whether online, in person, what do customers want, what do they not want. There are so many different levels of what some people find offensive, others don't. People love something, people hate something, and you have to try to navigate those waters. Challenging. Do you have any online presence for the Brookline Booksmith? We do, 24-7 at brooklinebooksmith.com. You can order any book in print. We'll get it to you in a couple of days. Happy to do that. How does the staff figure into your formula for success? It's essential. We have about 35 people to keep this popcorn popper going on a daily basis, and everyone is passionate about books, all different types. They're intelligent, they're connected people, lots of variety, lots of idiosyncratic people. The store is known as much for its personality as anything else, and so the people make that personality. Dana, thank you. Thank you. Dana Brigham, part owner and general manager of Brookline Booksmith here in Brookline, Massachusetts. Coming up, actually getting the keys to a candy store, your own, but first, she went from a one-woman business to managing $700 million in investments. How did she do that? Next on The Language of Business. Our sponsor is Art Lifting. If you have a small business, or even if you run a Fortune 500 company, you can uplift the look of your office with Art Lifting. Art Lifting has over 1,300 artworks in a variety of styles and prices. You can buy them or rent them and switch them up on a rotation every month or so. But wait, there's more. All of the Art Lifting art is by artists who are homeless or dealing with disabilities. So you not only brighten and uplift your office, you're helping local communities across the USA. To learn more and view the collection, go to artlifting.com. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. How do you go from a one-woman shop 25 years ago to managing $700 million? Welcome to Deborah Breedy, founder and president of DK Breedy Investment Management on the language of business. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I started out in 1980, and I started out as a sales assistant, became an ops manager within the next six months, and I did the broker training in 1984 at Shearson. So I used to cold call. That's how I actually started doing my business, cold calling. And I built it on municipal bond buyers. And I cross-sold them stocks. And then I started to give seminars. And after that, it was all coming in from a referral business. So since then, it's just been really just referrals coming in and 
building my client base from there. The latest craze these days in investment management is robo-brokers. What are your thoughts? It's not going to really affect me because the kind of clients that I have, they're looking for true wealth management. They don't just want what's the latest ETF or that type of thing. They're looking to see where should their money be, how should they take it out most tax efficiently when they do retire on the IRA distribution side. They want to know about making sure that they can move their wealth from one generation to the next. What's the best way state tax-wise and all of that. So I think it's going to be good for the, the smaller investor. How do you respond to a client who wants to deal with one of the huge behemoth institutions who okay. might have 45 experts? Okay. Well, first off, I have access to all those experts plus others. So basically today's marketplace, very different than how it was back in the 80s when I started in the business, where now you have access to analysts' opinions from many different firms, as a matter of fact. And when you go to a behemoth firm, like whether it be a Merle Lynch or whatever firm you want to talk about in that regard, you're really going to get one advisor. Generally, it's going to be the one that's the lead person's going to figure out what's going to happen with your account. It's really, once again, getting that right person to work with you. How do you build from a team of you yourself to seven other people? Think about it like a doctor. So I'm a doctor that's, that sits there and I want to look at all the records. I want to have everything in front of me. So it's like having a bunch of nurse practitioners or other doctors work with you that bring in all the information you need to then make the right decision. What it does is it frees me up to spend the time on just doing the analysis side and really zeroing in on what I need to zero in on. Would you prefer a smaller number of clients with more assets under their names or a larger number of clients with smaller accounts? I need to have at least a million under management for me to make it worthwhile for me based on what I do for a client. And on top of that, I happen to like different people. I love the people side of it. I wouldn't want to just have one client only, for instance, or just two clients. I like the differences of the clients. I've got some famous writers. I've got some very well-known doctors out there. I've got interior decorators. I have people I just love to talk with. That brings variety into it for me. How much are you able to customize the advice to the individual as opposed to giving everybody your A-plus recommendations. I customize everything I do. If you come to me, it's a tailored suit is what happens. So we'll have people that we need to work around the fact that they've inherited assets from years ago, and maybe it's in a trust account where if we sell something off, there's going to be a large capital gain. We have people that might just be in love with one particular stock, Gilead or whatever it might be. Maybe they work for the company. So we work around that. It's about building the portfolio, and it's really good to have someone that does customize it like me because it's more tax efficient that way. Do your nurse practitioners deal with client-facing issues or research? Both. We have it on all different sides. So my staff, they do many different jobs, but some are just service-related where they're just taking care of the client need, where it might be transferring money, maybe they're making a charitable gift or doing something like that or paying the 529 bill, the college bill or something like that. But I have staff members that, do, that pull research together for me or get research on companies for me. In the next five years, are you looking to double the $1.4 billion under management? <laughs> I'm very careful at who I take on and how much assets I have under management because I want to make sure I have time for all the clients that I have. So kind of like a doctor where they can do a, a certain panel number of patients and know they could still take care of those patients. I want to make sure I could take care of all my clients that come to me. So just like the clients interviewing me, I'm also interviewing them because I want to make sure I take on somebody that I can really help and make a difference for in their life. You're number one with Commonwealth Financial Services. What do you get most from that relationship? I just love Commonwealth. I want to say I am so glad I went independent with them years ago. They're one of the top out there. They win the award. They've always been there as a backup. Anything I need, whether I need even something where it's some odd duck trust that I'm reading, like, what is this about? They'll have attorneys that they can direct me to. I've got clients that are international clients, people at specific tax questions on that, that they've got resources to take me to. So they've been everything I've ever needed. Deborah, thank you. You're welcome. 
Deborah Breedy, founder and CEO of DK Breedy Investment Management Company. Coming up, actually getting the keys to a candy store, your own. That's next on The Language of Business. If you enjoy listening to podcasts, and I'm guessing you do because you've gotten this far into this one, let me tell you about another one I think you'll enjoy. It's called The Story Behind Her Success. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. That's what The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry is all about. Once a week, she'll make your day and change your life by introducing you to a woman whose story is so powerful, you'll never forget it. The program host is award-winning broadcaster Candy O'Terry. She's been the Massachusetts Broadcaster Association Broadcaster of the Year and winner of 18 Gracie Allen Awards. Candy has interviewed over 800 women from every walk of life, so there's no stumbling around in this podcast. Success is so much more than the outcome. It's about the journey. It's a story of how you got there. So buckle up and go along for the ride. The story behind her success with Candy O'Terry available wherever you get podcasts. One more time, back to Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. The sweet taste of success, 25 years and counting. We're on location here in Newton Highlands, Massachusetts at Indulge Candies with Linda Goldman. Owner, welcome to the language of business. How does somebody get into the candy business? Growing up, I always worked retail, which I loved. Uh, I love interacting with people. I was an art major in college, so I did a bunch of different things before that, like jewelry, and I always worked retail. But I wanted to do something creative, and this is definitely creative. Biggest lesson after 25 years? Then I'm always learning. I make mistakes all the time. Sometimes I buy things and I think they're going to be a hit and they're a miss. And sometimes I buy things that I don't think will work and they're great. I'm just always learning from myself. How has your MBA degree helped you run a business? I do not have an MBA degree. I was an art major in college and I think being in business is my best business experience. Like I said, I'm always learning from myself. Why come to a comparatively small store in Newton Highlands as opposed to buying everything online? You're going to get the personalized service here. Me and everybody that works for me, we give you the fullest extent of service here. We make everything look beautiful. People don't mind waiting for us to beautifully bow their gift because they know it's the presentation is everything. It has to taste good, but it also has to look good. Is it just candies or do you make packages? We make a lot of gift packages. We have fine chocolate. We have a whole big wall of candy bins. People come in for hostess gifts all the time. So we have beautiful gift baskets with candy and nuts and gourmet food. And we make all our bows by hand, so everything is custom made. And people will come in for a little dish with candy and bring it for a hostess gift. How do you innovate after 25 years? You know, I'm always looking online. I get ideas from what other people do, and I change it and make it my own. People get ideas from what we do and make it their own, which is the highest form of compliment. I'm just always looking for new and interesting containers, dishes, baskets, boxes, always keeping it fresh and new. Why not license the name and open up five indulges? I really think, for me, personally speaking, I think you lose something when you franchise or open up more than one store. I cannot personally be in two places at one time. I have wonderful help. I've always had great help here, 25 years, and people stay for a long time because we work really well together. But I have wonderful people that work for me that can do everything I do. But I think that my customers really want to see me here, and I am here every day. How have your margins changed over 25 years? You know, I'm still 
probably the least expensive candy store around. There's a lot of candy stores that are more than twice as much of what my prices are for my bulk candy and my fine chocolates. We, you know, we have to obviously make a profit, but I don't want a price gouge. I get what I need to get. My rent is not that crazy because I'm in a small village. I have a very small store but it works great for me. Best and worst selling items? You know, we do sell a lot of chocolate. I sell a lot of jelly beans. We have locale candy that sells really well. It's really hard to say what doesn't sell well because if it doesn't sell well, I won't get it again. We, nothing sits around for a long time. Someone comes to you, young person wants to get into business. You've 25 years in, what would be your best piece of advice for them? There's rules, but there's no rules. I say go by the skin of your teeth go by instinct. I feel that I have really good instinct. When I go to the gift show and I order, I don't go with a business plan. Not to say that sometimes might not have been helpful, but you have to have good instinct. And for me, that's worked really well. So I say go for it, definitely. How did the idea for Indulge happen? We were away in Florida. and We saw this candy store that we thought was adorable. And we came back and said, wouldn't that be great? I was working in the jewelry business nearby and about a year later this space came available and we said you know let's do it let's bite the bullet it absolutely is nothing like the original candy store that i saw and like i said it's evolved over the years our store is very different than it was in the beginning but like i said it's always changing and always being current any regrets after 25 years definitely not you know having my own business and also in the neighborhood that i grew up with and i live here and i work here i love seeing all the people that come in i every i see everybody and their mother and it also allowed me the flexibility of picking my kids up from school every day and being close by and working linda thank you thank you linda goldman the owner of indulge candies here in newton highlands massachusetts Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. You can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes. We now have downloads in 45 countries and 33 states plus D.C. Thanks for the support. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.